0: So this morning I'm titling my talk, What the World Needs to See. And so I'm going to ask uh, Herman if you could stick up that first slide with uh, Macedonia and Thessalonica um, on there please. I think it's very helpful for us. We're going to be working through the book of Thessalonians and Andre launched us last week quite nicely. Uh, speaking about uh, imitating Christ and then we're modeling something. And so, I've just come back into the text as well, just to latch on to what was shared by him. And I thought he did a great job last week. So, well done. It was a solid preach. But I think it's important. Sometimes, you know, I wonder when we read the Bible, have you ever considered maybe just going to see where it is on the map? You know, um, it, and then you get to see. Um, I mean, my daughter, who's um, on, on a, a super yacht, um, when she started out her trade last year, March, ended up going to Cyprus, early. And um, I was, like, so jealous. Because not only was she going on a super yacht but earning in dollars, but she went to a place that the guys that we read about in the Bible were walking. I was like, this is so unfair. <laughs> but it's important for us to see. We're looking at Thessalonica. And, um, you know, this is uh, a, there's, there's the province. I think it's Mes- Macedonia. Thessalonica is a capital city. Why is this important for us is because this place was a bustling little town Or city of about two hundred thousand odd people. This was a place where there was a lot of trade happening. This was a place where people were crossing international borders to come and do business. And then what happened was, um, in the time that the gospel was being preached, a church had actually been established in Thessalonica by Paul. And if you go and read Acts chapter seventeen, it'll give you, I think, the first fourteen verses. It'll give you the story of the church that had been planted. And then Paul had to leave because the church came under persecution and he wrote this letter back to the church to encourage the new converts. Now you might say, well, why is that important? Because I think it's very relevant. It's very similar to Cape Town. Because what happened was guys were getting saved, but because of the cross-border pollination and the cultures that were there, the Christ followers were actually being influenced By some of these things, so Paul is actually wanting to make sure that the people stay on course and don't fall away. Very powerful uh, situation. And the interesting thing was is that in the city, um, people were doing well, people were earning a great living, business was thriving. And often when that happens, people don't need God. And so what happens is Paul just wants to make sure, like we want to do today, to make sure. That we don't get caught up in something that uh, almost, I want to say, it would impact our gospel message and um, almost make it, um, tarnish it, should I say. So this is the heart of Paul as he wrote this letter. And it just helps us to give perspective. When you read your Bible, sometimes it's good just to go and read the footnotes or the intro notes on a particular book just to get a little bit of understanding um, as, as you read. So I'm going to go back into 1 Thessalonians 1, verses 1 to 10, and I'm going to read that for us. And I'm going to got some other slides that'll come up later. So Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the Church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you, mentioning you in our prayers. We continually remember before our God and Father, your work produced by faith your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that He has chosen you. Say, chosen you. Because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with the power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction, you know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord in spite of severe suffering, You welcomed the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Say everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it. For they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven whom He raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. May the Lord's word just truly impact our lives today as the word rings out here. So I said the title is What the World Needs to See. I don't come with cleverly invented stuff here. I'm not that smart. I'm just looking at the congregation and I'm seeing as as an elder and as one of the elders here, what is happening in our midst and what is God wanting to do? What is the picture that he has for us as a church? And this is the heart of Paul. This is how he's encouraging a church that is going through a difficult time and he brings some very practical stuff. So I'm going to give you a list here and... um, I'm trusting that this will be helpful. So there's 10 points here. And so the first thing is grace and peace to the church. Here Paul is is writing and he says grace and peace to the church. When we look at grace, what is he talking about here? This is God's unmerited favor poured on us. He looks at these Thessalonians and, and these guys are getting saved. And actually when he says grace to you, What he's saying is that what you have received, you did not deserve. Actually, what you and I deserve is to be separated from God and to spend eternity in hell. You see, the church doesn't talk about this stuff anymore because we don't want to offend people. But we can't go against what we see in the Word of God. The hell is real. And so he's writing and he says, what you have received is the kindness and the goodness of God, which we've just sang about. And, and you need to know that it's been freely given because he paid the price for you through his son, Jesus. And so with that, it's that unmerited favor poured on us. And then it's the peace that comes through the salvation. He says, now that you are saved, you don't need to save yourself. You don't need to wrestle anymore with God. You have peace with God because of your faith in Jesus. The problem is, and I've realized in this week, when we don't experience peace, it's because we probably are out of line with the things that God is wanting to do in our lives. And we need to say, Lord, that peace is gone. I need to realign. What are the adjustments that I need to make? But he says, but when you understand God's grace, we are brought into perfect peace because of Jesus. And we will wrestle this thing as we continuously live out our lives here. And so what does this do? This is a powerful question. Thanks for asking, Dimville Central. <laughs> that grace and peace, what is it that the world sees? A people that are humble. A people that display humility because of what God did for them. Because they didn't deserve it. That's what people see. Humility. And 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 that for me should be something that should ring out loud from our context. And then with that, God wants you and I to model this grace and peace. And it's interesting. The story of Jonah. And I'm not going to put that scripture on there. I just want to. Just uh, put this out here. Jonah, at one point, he was told to go to Nineveh because God had a plan with him. And then he disobeyed God, and you know that he went into the ocean. And eventually, he got swallowed up by a whale, and eventually he gets brought back. And then God says to him, now I want you to go to Nineveh. And this is the grace that God demonstrated uh, to Nineveh. Jonah got cross with God. Because God kept on saying, you need to go there. And Jonah was saying, but do you know how bad... These guys at Durbanville, Suburb S, and Kenrich, and Leuvenstein, and Belleville, and Cryfantine and Brackenfell. Do you know how bad these guys are? God, what is wrong with you? And he gets angry with God. He says, Why do you want to reach out and why do you want to touch him? Why do you want to say them? They don't deserve it, forgetting himself what God has done for him. I want to ask you this morning, I'm guilty. I'm sorry, I'm guilty. But there are times when I live in my life and say, Lord, why are you doing this with them? Why are you sometimes reaching out to the unsaved and blessing them like they're out of their socks and we are doing X, Y, and Z and, 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 and we can never suck your thumb for a moment and a pity party. And then God reminds me and he says, remember what I did for you. And this is what he says. Listen to this. He says, uh, this is Jonah arguing with God. Can you believe it? And he goes, he says, I, he prayed to the Lord. Oh, Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarsus. I knew that you are gracious and compassionate, God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, oh, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. That's how angry he was because of what God wanted to do in, in that city. And what God wanted him to do was to express and demonstrate a grace and a love that had been poured out on his life. And later on, God says to him, he says, But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about this great city? Interestingly, as I read that, We have about 120-odd thousand people just in the Durbanville area and surrounds. I'm in the property game. There are more homes coming up. There are more people coming. I want to say to you this morning, what excites me in Durbanville, Pinehurst, is they've had over 350 people in about a period of five weeks, new folk. And if you narrow it down, the guys that are becoming regular, they could form a new church out of the people that are visiting. My prayer is, church, let's get a heart for the lost. The grace and the mercy that has been poured out over us, we need to have for our work colleagues, our neighbors, our friends, our sports colleagues, and so on. You just do the inviting. You cannot say them, I cannot say them, but Jesus can. Position them. So there we go. The first thing the church did was they demonstrated the grace and the peace of Jesus upon their lives. The second thing is they were a church that modeled gratitude. And I love what Paul says. We thank God for all of you. And this is the heart of a leader who thanks God for the people that has been sent. When I look at this congregation and I see what God has done in our midst, I thank God for the people that are here. Our hearts, when we pray for you on a, on a Friday morning between 6.30 and seven 7.30, quarter to 8 as elders, we are praying for the congregation. We are praying for people. We are praying for some of your circumstances. And we trust in God. But the most important is to say, God, thank you. Thank you for bringing the people, and thank you for what you're busy doing in their lives. The the, the most important thing is what God wants us as a people now to model and demonstrate is this. God, thank you that you handpicked me out of all of creation to be a part of your story. Thank you, God, that you've handpicked me and you've put me in this local congregation, which is part of a bigger congregation in the Josh Jen story and part of a bigger story with the universal church that follows Jesus and the word of God as we understand it. And we as a people live our lives saying we are so thankful that God has given us his vehicle, the local church, and that he's called me and you to be a part of it. What a powerful story for us. And uh, I've got to ask the question, and I've done this over the years. What would you do if the church suddenly ceased? What would it do to you? This is a profound thing that God is bringing you and I into. It's a powerful moment that he would position us to walk out our faith journey with him. Some of you will go and be with the Lord before others here. Some of you might go to other countries, other destinations, because God has a plan and a purpose. Some of us are going out next week to preach the gospel, help build into churches. We're nothing special. We're just saying, Lord, we're available, and we will serve your purposes. But God, thank you that you bring us into this story. Thank you that you saved us. Thank you that you've saved our family. That's what the world looks at when they see in your, you and I. Are we are people filled with gratitude. Is this making sense? Thank you. Then, third point. Despite life's challenges, the the church displayed the following. And Paul, as he writes to them, is commending them. He's saying, hey, guys, well done. Amidst the challenges that you face, you guys haven't wobbled and fallen off your skateboard And uh, wiped yourselves out and said, well, now I'm no longer walking with the church. Because they were facing some severe situations. Their their lives were in danger. People were put in prison. They could have been fined, whatever the story might be. I think there's a a lot more freedom we have here than what they probably had in those days. But he writes the following. And he says, and this is what the world will see. A church that models faith. A church that trusts in God first. First. That's where it goes. We've been speaking about it from the beginning of the year. Who do we trust? And I know for some of us, I know for me it's very difficult. My flesh. My flesh is weak. This week I was listening to a story and a a preach. And I was like, what does the flesh mean? If you spell the word flesh, F-L-E-S-H, and you cross out the H and you reverse it itself without the H We are a people that need to trust God. And we are a people that will model that unashamedly, that we trust God with our lives, with this church, with our futures, with our families' futures, our children's futures, and whatever a future God has planned. That's the kind of people God is calling you and I to be. We trust in God. We have faith. I don't need faith for you that are sitting here right now. But I need faith for the chairs that are open, for God to add people in. There I need faith. You don't need faith if you've got 50,000 rand in your bank account. But when you haven't got money, you need faith. You've got to trust God. Does that make sense? So we want to model this to the community. And so we trust God and we serve His purposes in and through the local church. The other area that He commends them, He says, and you model love. Firstly, you model a love for God. For some people that are sitting here this morning, you go, these acts are nuts. What are they doing this morning in worship? It is it's a Greek word, mole. <laughs> I think. <laughs> hey, they, they, We love you, Lord. Well, you're looking up, you go, oh, what are you looking at? What are you, the, the roof? In our hearts, we love you, Lord. We're expressing a, a heartfelt love. And then the most... Uh, the amazing thing is, the word says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your mind, all of your strength, and then love others. That's where it flows. And what happens is we display a love amongst each other. When Charlotte got prayed in this morning, I just had a deep sense of the Father's love for you through the body this morning. I don't know. That's just what I felt. But how do we love one another? We care. We show an interest. We spend time together. Hold no record of wrongs. Go and read 1 Corinthians 13. It will help you to understand what God calls us to do. And you know what? It's a love that comes through Jesus. It's not the love that we understand when we love a husband and a wife or our children. It's a different love that comes through Jesus that helps us uh, to, to walk with one another in a way that, 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 that you would feel loved. I would feel loved. And when people walk in here, they would sense the love for God and for one another genuine care here. The other thing that the church modeled was hope. And this is not wishful thinking, but a total confidence also in Jesus' return. One of my favorite scriptures, I'm going to ask you if you can put up 1 Peter 1 verses 8 to 9, please. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. It's one of the most powerful scriptures for me that we model a hope to people that Christ will return, but we're modeling a hope as well to people that one day we will be with Him. The world is broken. The world is messed up. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to see that, but are we a people that are demonstrating, a people that are, hopeful despite what is going on around us and this is what Paul was doing commending the church their faith their love and their hope point number four a church that knows that it's loved and chosen by God and this should give us a great confidence that we are in right standing with God I often I think I've spoken here and I said do you guys remember the days when you used to play on on at school remember on on or am I outdating myself here or touches, or whatever you call it. Eh? Do you remember when you used to choose teams? There always used to be two people that choose. I don't know what was wrong with me, but I always got chas- chosen last. Oh. Some of you know this feeling, eh? eh? I don't know. I just wasn't fast enough. I don't know. But, you know, we laugh. But do you know how much damage... Some of us are sitting with you this morning because you weren't chosen. Do you know how much damage you've faced because you were rejected by a loved one, by a friend? If I look at my life and I see what God has done, I would never have chosen me, but He did because He's sovereign. Because he can do what he wants. He is Lord. And he looks at me, and he looks at you, and he says, "My boy, my girl, I need you to come onto my playing field, warts and all. Idiosyncrasies, attitude. I can't believe that we would have attitude. Yeah, some of us don't have those issues, but we got attitude. We 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 throw our toys." And that many of us feel, yeah, so unworthy. But let me tell you, you are unworthy. We are unworthy. But Jesus makes you and I worthy. That's what separates everything. We don't live with it in the flesh. We live with it in the spirit. He has chosen you. I want you to look to the person to your left and your right and say, he has chosen you. Yeah, as Jacques says, he's got your number. That's right. This signal never gets interrupted. It's never even an issue with load shedding, eh? Church, you need to walk out here today knowing that God has chosen you. And that's what we model to the world. You don't walk out here. I I know our emotions and our feelings and life circumstances can knock us down. But can we walk out here today knowing, hey, man, if I walk away with anything today, God has actually handpicked me. He's chosen me. You know that you're not here by mistake today. Yes, you got in your car, you drove here, but this is part of God's plan for your life. He's handpicked for you to be here and to hear the gospel message and for God to do something deep in your life as you go forward in the things of Him. So you go out with confidence from this place today, knowing with my warts and all, all my frailties, all my weaknesses and idiosyncrasies, I have been chosen by God and I'm loved by Him passionately. Point number five. A church filled with God's word and flows in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's interesting that the gospel is a declaration and a proclamation of good news that came from God and Jesus coming into the earth and Jesus being made known to mankind so that we could be rescued and whoever put their faith in Jesus would be saved. You see, for many of us sitting here, we we need to hear the basics again. You and I were separated from God because of sin. You were born into a world which was sinful. All right? The kindness of God, though, is that he saw that and at some point he would make the gospel available and known to you through somebody who preached the word of God or spoke to you about the word of God. Some of you, if you were like me, you heard it 50 times before you made a decision. But you see, you can't rescue yourself. Jesus rescues you. And the Bible says whoever acknowledges their sin and that Jesus is the only one who can save us, when you call out onto him and you say, Lord, I need your mercy and your forgiveness, the Bible says whoever calls on his name will be saved. And when you get saved, You become a new creation. When you get saved, God brings you onto the playing field. And he says, now I want you to walk out your journey with me. And I want you to serve my purposes. And what you have heard, I want you to go and tell other people. I want you to repeat. And you'll start to do the words and works of what we see Jesus doing in Scripture. And so, with that, you need to know that you sitting here can't just say, okay, I want to get saved. No, the Holy Spirit convicts you. He convicts you of your sin. And of your need for Jesus. And I believe the Holy Spirit has been working with some of you for a long time. I think there's some folk you might think you are saved. But you're from a religious mindset. A religious background. Sleeping in a garage doesn't make you a car. Coming to church doesn't make you a Christian. Faith in Jesus and recognizing your need to be saved is what sets you right with God. And so it's important that we remind ourselves of that. The Holy Spirit will illuminate things, and even as I speak, it will start to make sense to some of you, and you go, yeah, the Klinkrach. The, the. And you know, for those of you who speak Afrikaans or got a different language, the, the reality is the power of the Holy Spirit works very quickly in your lives to to help you receive and understand what is being spoken, and that's just the kindness of God in the way that we work, and we just got to say, hey God, thank you, you've chosen me, you love me, and just Despite my cultural differences and background that I come out of, you love me enough to hear the gospel that I can respond to you and be made right with you. And then also as a church, that with this uh, point that we are filled with God's word and we're filled with his spirit, that we, ca- we carry the word and the spirit together. We don't want to get out of sync with this. It's important for us to, to uh, hear the Word of God, and it's important for us to be led uh, by the Holy Spirit. We need both. And it's very interesting. You know that the Holy Spirit is so at work here in your lives. I think what, often what happens is we get caught up in this, oh, but nobody's falling down here. Nobody's crying and, and doing all kinds of things. So maybe God's not here. Let me tell you something. God is here. Let me show you what he's doing. Can you stick up those two pictures for me, please? I want to show you this picture. This is what I believe God is busy doing in our midst. As we are preaching, as we worship God, as we hang together, as we have coffee and tea together, as we come in on a Sunday morning, as we go to com groups, as we spend time across the table having breakfast, lunches, coffees, suppers, and whatever else, the Holy Spirit, the Bible says where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of you. Right now, the Holy Spirit is busy washing over your lives. If your life was a roof, the dirt and the muck that is on your life will be a process of washing and cleaning. Why? Because we're sitting under the word of God. It's one of the most powerful things we can do. That when the word of God is preached, you are being fed and you are being washed. And the Holy Spirit is at work. That's why you can walk away here knowing that you've met with God today. Let's look at the next picture. There's a wall being sprayed down. Yeah, you can see. Holy Spirit washing over you. Some of you will walk out here healed today. Some of you will walk out here being set free from some of the things that you uh, were battling with. That's the power of God. I believe it. I've prayed and I've said, Lord, I don't ever want to come to a meeting where, where we don't have a sense of your presence. And his presence is here. He's washing over your heart. He's washing over your mind. And it will be a continued process. And we will only reach perfection when we meet with him one day. What a beautiful picture. You know, I feel like God wants to break alcoholism over people here this morning. I feel like God wants to break alcoholism over people here this morning. You're battling with substance abuse. This is the power of the Holy Spirit. You know who you are. What God will do is he'll bring you to a place and you'll recognize and you'll go, Lord, that's the thing I need you to touch in my life. Because, you know, with some of the cleaning, what happens is there's little pieces of muck that's a little bit harder Maybe it's our rebellion. Maybe it's our, our attitudes that God needs to work with. And a lack of submission to Him to say, God, I actually need you to take this thing away. Keep washing over my heart and my mind. The most powerful thing. Let's see what Ephesians 5 verses 26 and 27 says. And this is a powerful thing for us. Says, As the word of God is being preached to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with the water through the word. Holy Spirit and word at at the same time, to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Church, as our preacher this morning, as anybody that preaches in our context, we collectively are being made beautiful before the Lord to be presented one day by Jesus to the Father as pure, spotless, and holy. Aren't you excited? We got a wedding coming up in two weeks' time. There's a couple here that are getting married. Aziz and Shanli. Really like exciting. Shanli, you know what this is all about. Eh? That dress is like driving you nuts, eh? Because ah, like, oh, it's got to be done like this, and going uh, and everything's gotta be perfect. So yesterday we had a little bit of a thing with Aziz and all the guys. What happened was we sat around the table and we we're having a meal. So I said to Rudy and on Monday, they're not here today, taking a break. And um, I said to him, let's pray for him. So we're busy chatting. Said, Matt, Nick, so what we're going to do is, um, when, when we give him encouragement, you are going to say to him, the first thing, Aziz, the first thing that you've got to say when it's your speech, because he's very nervous for his speech. And all of us said, the first thing you're going to do is tell Shanley how beautiful she is. <laughs> Don't forget that. And then the next guy started, and the next guy, and each guy, by the time he left after 14 oaks last night, he knew. Whatever you do, do not forget to tell your bride that she's beautiful. (laughs) It's going to be awesome. Isn't that wonderful? All right. As we start to take this plane down, now we need to land it. A church that is a deep conviction of truth. And as a church, this is what people are seeing. That we have a deep conviction of truth. We uphold the non-negotiables. Our doctrine is what we believe. What we believe about Jesus is important. What we believe about God the Father is important. What we believe about the Holy Spirit is important. What we believe about the church is important. There are certain things that are non-negotiable. Start it back. Get saved. Get water baptized. Get filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is there to empower you to do the work of the ministry and live this life. While you are not hanging on a cross like the guy that was crucified next to Jesus. If you are a Christian and you have given your life to Jesus, the next thing you need to do, the most basic act of obedience, is to get water baptized. That says there's a renewed and a regenerated heart that is linked up with Jesus. And you're making a public statement to say to people, my life belongs to him, not to myself anymore. I want to call on you, if you have not been water baptized, to please get water baptized. Speak to your com group leaders and let them help you with that. You see, these are the things that we need to uphold as we walk out our journey. Theology. What does the Bible say about a given topic? About marriage. Very important. Church. We're getting a couple or getting married. It's very soon. And it's really exciting. I want to honor these guys. They've done things the right way. It's an awesome story what's happening, and we're going to give you more details. There's a big movie coming out for them, all right? But what does the Bible say about marriage? It's very simple. Go back to what the Word of God says. In the beginning, man and woman. That's it. We don't need to negotiate anything else. It says man and woman. And, and the Bible doesn't want us to be in a space that we are um, operating in a manner that is ungodly. That's why we want to encourage those that are possibly living in a relationship that is unhelpful to do the right thing in God. God wants people to be married. It's very interesting that marriage was ordained by God, organized by God, and He wants us to live in a in a holy union with Him. Marriage is a place where um, uh, families get forged um, there's a safety for husband and wife, and we procreate. And we have children for those of us who've got children. And that's the place that God wants it for us. If we look at what's happening in the world today, it's a deep concern. The church has gone quiet on this stuff. And I think I can get into a lot of trouble with this message today. But what are we modeling? Are we compromising because we want to be sentimental and don't want to hurt people's feelings? We need to be a people that uphold the truth of God. And we need to run hard with this thing. Please hear me. I'm preaching very close to a dangerous line today. But I I don't see anything else in Scripture. We've got to be careful what we endorse. Because people go to hell. We need to rescue people. And there are people here that can tell you testimonies of how they have been loved and help through their circumstances to a place of getting married. It's the most beautiful story that we've got. I love it. Right, and I'm not going to touch on Andre's word from last week. But we imitate and we model what, what the, the leaders have done. And the last three points. A church where the gospel flows out. You know, this morning when we were having a prayer meeting, Lumay was sitting next to Michelle. And she was laughing. And, and you know what? I want us to be a happy church. Are you guys happy with Jesus? Happy. Happy Jesus has saved me. Jesus is good. He's busy dealing with my stuff. But the gospel, the good news of what he's done in my life needs to ring out from you. This is what the world sees. That these people are passionate about Jesus. They're passionate about the word of God going out from this place. And the Bible says that it rang out not just here, but everywhere. So wherever you go, let the gospel flow in you. And through you. Last, second last point. Is the church that gets rid of its idols. I love what Letitia did. Letitia, may I share what you shared this morning? Okay. Thank you. It's a helpful story. A church that gets rid of its idols. So Letitia had been on some medication. And on Wednesday night. After Comm Group. We had an awesome time at Yehud Kirsten's place. There were 32 odd folk. It was actually with 34 because they still had Indigo, their dog, and, um, and Buddy. And even Indigo was in the worship. And the most amazing thing happened. Leticia, when she got home, did not have to take her sleeping medication, which she's been needing for the last 10 years, and hasn't taken that medication apparently since then. She presented it. Now, I'm not saying to you, go and stop your medication. Be wise. Okay, But what I am saying is, what is it that's cutting in between you and God, that's holding you back from walking in the fullness of what God has for you? For some of us, it is sin. Uh, some of us need to give up things that will stop us from work, walking away from the things of God. And, uh, you know, there are people in those days, they got rid of their material. They got rid of artworks. They got rid of all kinds of stuff that did not represent the kingdom of God. I'm not saying be weird, But I know one of the guys that's been walking with us was very much into a different faith. And he eventually took all of his material, which probably cost thousands of rands, and threw the stuff away. Church, be careful with the things that hold you back from the things of God. Idols could be yourself. Idol could be your husband or your wife. Idol could be your children. Idol could be your money. Idol could be your business. Idol could be your pleasures your holiday homes, whatever the story might be. They're not bad. But if they take you away from the things of God and that becomes your lifestyle, you've got a problem. And this church, they ran and they said, Lord, I've been convicted. I need to change my ways and I need to turn to you. Imagine what the church would look like if we got this thing right and we ran hard off to God. And my last one, reinforcing a point made earlier on. The church was expectant of Christ's return. And We need to believe that there will be the second coming of Jesus Christ. For some of us, maybe we get to see that. But maybe some of us will leave before and we'll go be with him. The Bible says that he will return. And he will call people from the north, south, east, and west. And we will come together. And we will be united with our glorified bodies. And we will live with him for eternity. So church this morning, I hope that you will be able to embrace these ten points And maybe there's stuff here that you're saying, oh, I need to make adjustments here. I want to make sure that I form part of what happens here, that we live this thing loud and proud. As I close, there might be people sitting here this morning. Perhaps God has moved over your heart. I don't know. But maybe you're sitting here this morning and you realize through some of the things that I've said that perhaps you're not yet actually in right standing with God. What I mean by that, you've gone to church for years, but you have never made a personal commitment where you've said, Jesus, I recognize I'm actually messed up and I'm broken and I'm lost and I don't really have you as my Lord and Savior. But today I realize I need to rectify this. I'm being given an opportunity. Because why? Because God wants to bring you into family and he wants you to be a son or a daughter and he wants you to journey with him. Is there anybody here this morning that can say to me, Ants, I need Jesus this morning. I just want you to raise your hand. We want to pray for you, and we want, to, we want to support you and help you in your walk with God. Is there anybody here? I'm not going to ask people to bow their heads. The Bible says, if you prepare to confess me before man, I'll confess you before the Father. I'm, I'm believing if this preach was of such a nature that God is moving and he needs to do what he needs to do, that some year will say, it's me. Is there anybody? You know why this is a safe place? Because when you bring your friends, we will always open this door for them. Secondly, I feel this morning quite strongly that there are some of us that you've, you've actually stumbled and you've fallen. And I feel for some of us, we actually need to make a recommitment this morning. And I want to ask you, are there folks here as you've listened to this message that you say, Listen, man, I've actually sort of been, there's a line, but actually I've been walking a little bit this side of the line. I want to come back into line. Is there anybody here this morning? Thank you, Anita. Why don't you stand, please? Who else? You just want to recommit your lives to the Lord. Recommit your journey to God. Is there anyone else? Anita, what a privilege. I believe there's more. We're we're people that are afraid. It's an opportunity. I, I remember stories where guys were saying, people were running and flocking, pick me, pick me, pick me. We have a prophetic meeting. Guys wear bright yellow shirts so that everybody can see them. Is there anybody else? Great. We're going to pray for you. Why don't you reach out your hands to her? just want you to repeat after me. Jesus Christ, I come to you this morning. And I recognize, Lord, that I've strayed from the path. This morning, Lord, I want to come back into line. Please forgive me, Jesus. And Jesus, will you help me on this journey? Help me to live my life for you. Help me to serve your purposes. Thank you, Jesus, that by faith today, I believe I am in right standing with you. Please help me from this day forth. In Jesus' name I pray this. Amen. Wonderful, Thank you. Is there anybody else that prayed that prayer while I was praying with her now? I'm going to close. All right. Guys, we're done. Jock, I'm going to ask you to close for us. Thank you. Hope you all have an awesome, awesome one. And um, invite your friends to next week's meeting.